So today I'm going to try something new. I'm going to try a solo episode and the last time I've done this is our first episode of Down to Brown ever. Uh, I have a hard time telling people whether I started this podcast in October or November of 2020 because our first episode was released on one quiz question, October 29th. And so it was kind of the end of October, so it's kind of cheating to say October, but whatever, technical tabby. Um, the first episode, I got to share a little bit about why we're doing Down to Brown. And all of it is really an answer to this question of what life would look like if we freed ourselves of pressures of assimilating to American society, but then also with all the stigmas and expectations we grow up as South Asians. And I think that tension is really a beautiful thing. I think it's actually when we harness it, it's our power. But of course, it can come with a lot of pain. Um, It can come with a lot of heaviness. It can come with also a lot of joy and um, fulfillment. So for that reason, once in a while, I'd love to take a topic that's on my mind that addresses this question and talk a little bit more about my life or trends that we're seeing outside and how they might actually speak to our South Asian American experience um, or anyone who has multiple identities. One of my favorite podcasts is The Daily. I think it's incredibly knowledge heavy and just the right amount of information for what you need to know about a topic that's relevant. The reason why this podcast stands out to me is the narrator, Michael Barbaro. He's fantastic. I mean, I, I'm going to tease him a little bit, but I would cannot even flatter myself that I'm in the likes of him. It, you know, it would be, I'd be lucky if I was as talented as him. So have you noticed how he opens up the episode? If liberalism had a voice, it would be Michael Barbaro. He does this thing where he has this like theatrical way of calmly sharing information. Today, we're going to talk about President Trump and the economy. And then he delivers the date in a very dramatic way. It's Wednesday, December 11th. Ding. If you listen to The Daily, tell me I'm wrong. I challenge you. So in honor of our homie Barbaro, I'd like to introduce this episode by saying that today we're going to talk about generational trauma and how cyclical familial patterns can exist in our lives. We're going to pull from the book The Body Keeps the Score and Lahari's own experiences with her recent parents' visit. It's Monday. October 4th, but the episode will air Tuesday, October 5th. Cool. I would also advertise this on Instagram. However, today Facebook is down and someone already has written an article that news very thoughtfully and promptly reminded me of in a notification that um, Facebook is down. Is that perhaps a good thing? And, you know, probably. But uh, at the same time, I remember being a Facebook employee and it's a big fucking deal that day if, you know, obviously the website is down and um, there's a lot of planning that takes place and it's kind of a snow day for employees because you literally can't use the tool um, and the services inside too to do your work. So um, I hope for our social media consumption sakes, um, we can have Instagram, a WhatsApp running soon. I think... 
some of us depend on some of these tools to keep in touch with folks in our lives, especially if your family lives in a place that it's easier to WhatsApp, for example, internationally. Um, I certainly can't message my family when I don't have WhatsApp or make calls um, as easily as I normally do. So let's see. Before I start my topic, I just wanted to do a fun like just high five slash hug to anyone listening to the fact that now Ulta carries live tinted products, making it the first South Asian represented beauty brand that Ulta carries. This is fucking huge. Can you imagine if we saw this walking into a makeup store growing up? Um, This is just so exciting for brown girls and people cheering on representation. And so um, how exciting. I can't wait to go to Ulta myself and just get to experience it, even though I own pretty much every product through online purchases previously. But it's okay, potato, potato. So I might have mentioned this to folks that in the past um, that my parents moved to India when I was 17. Um, And so like many others, I grew up in the States. I was born in Texas and um, did the visits you do, you know, over the summers where you pack your suitcases full of American snacks, which are now in retrospect incredibly bad for you, but you ate clinging on to dear life just in case you got sick from the water. Um, And turns out the water wasn't that bad for you either. Um, I have a personal theory that I can boost my immunity by drinking the water in India, which I do sometimes. Um, I don't know. I live life on the edge. Anyways, um, but at the age of 17, my parents said, you know, they've been wanting to do this. They wanted to retire a little early and um, they were going to move to Hyderabad. So I started college here um, and it was sort of a strange experience of having a lot of space suddenly from family that was so involved. I think many of you can relate if you grew up with families like this or if you maybe have ethnic families that culturally it's just a practice to be much more in each other's lives. So I went from not only that, but also just so many rules and standards and expectations and constantly like you need to be doing this because you are a woman. You need to be doing this because you are our daughter. You need to do this because you're the oldest of the family, you know, and this generation of yours on this side of the family. Um, And so I hope I think this resonates (laughs) for a lot of people. And so I had sudden freedom, Um, but it also helped me create a very special relationship with India where I'd actually go as home and stay for months on end uh, with my parents and really get to live life as a local. Um, So, you know, there are pros and cons uh, to being separated from your family. But one thing that I will say is that it gave me a lot of space to make sense of the dynamics of my family. And the more years that passed, it was easier to look at things objectively. Um, And it allowed me to do a little bit of sort of this traditional American individuation concept um, without too much distraction or guilt. I was fortunate enough to meet in my life a therapist um, when I was about 25. And I looked her up because of a breakup that I had, but she ended up changing my life. I still talk to her whenever I need to work through something. And she has really honestly, like, if you want to talk about tech earlier, um, she disrupted 
the way that I think about family, about relationships um, with friends, about with, you know, romantic partners, feelings of self-worth and just better self-awareness of the patterns that exist in me and why they exist and how I can perhaps move forward. So, um, you know, honestly, this is my plug, like therapy, if you find the right therapist and you stick through the work, it fucking rocks. One of the things that I have to thank her for is helping me understand generational trauma. And this term can sound so heavy, right? When you say trauma, especially. And then, you know, me, if you've listened to a few of my episodes, I always talk about this concept of what would the skeptical uncle or auntie say? Um, I think many of us might relate to the fact that there were people in our lives like relatives or family friends but that type of um sometimes gaslighting of the feeling you're experiencing because perhaps it doesn't quote seem as serious quote um as maybe problems dealt with in the past for the immigrant experience which is fair you know i definitely don't know what that's like and it's much harder probably than what i have to go through in a country that i've been born in um and i'm more accustomed to However, it doesn't help when you say things like generational trauma and people say, oh, you're just being dramatic. What trauma? Just get over it. Right. We've heard those examples and that it doesn't help at all because you might be moving towards the right target uh, to tackle something. And it's like someone takes you and spins you into a different direction because it just distracts you. It tells you that it's not a big deal. It's not important. um, And you don't deal with it. But let's turn to someone who knows a hell of a lot more than I do about this topic. So the book, The Body Keeps the Score, is by Basil van der Kolk, who is a MD and um, very experienced researcher and author and um, thought leader in the space of trauma and how to heal your brain, mind, and body from this. Um, In this book, there are a few examples, and I wanted to summarize a few that really stood out to me especially when I think about this concept of inner communities where sometimes we can feel gaslit from, you know, when we're trying to even acknowledge trauma, people will say, oh, it's it's not a big deal or like forget about it. Uh, the more you dwell on it, you know, it won't help you. But the actual, you know, fact is that these people who are advising us are often not experts on trauma. And the reasons can be that when someone goes through a trauma, Let's say um, something unfortunately violent happened to you and um, let's say you were in a parking lot. But if you are going to an ice cream shop and getting a scoop and deciding between a couple flavors and something happens, let's say, in the store that takes you back some stimuli, whether it's a smell or sound or sight. Um, someone says something, someone looks like someone, you just get triggered into thinking of that trauma that happened to you in the parking lot. And your body, while it is in a very relaxing, what seems to be a fun, kind of innocuous, innocent ice cream shop, will go back to the fact that you that time where you were in that high stress situation, your hormones, your stress levels, your brain activations are all responding as if they're in that traumatized moment. So you can imagine the body goes through blood pressure differentiation, heart rate, oxygen intake changes. These people also, even after they're removed from that, you know, even after you leave the ice cream shop, you'll have those levels 
very slowly go down, slower than normal. You might not be able to talk about it and therefore alienate yourself from family. You might also, because of that, have more sleeping disorders or different effects that it has on irritability and memory, etc. So basically, it's a big fucking deal. But it's so almost, you know, and I don't mean funny in a haha funny, but just like, how interesting is it that we don't talk about trauma in our communities and families as much as we should? Especially because some of the trauma in our South Asian communities is bonkers. I mean, it's not just the trauma that we individually experience. It doesn't have to be firsthand. And that's how we get into generational trauma territory. The trauma that our parents or our parents' parents and our parents' parents' parents, you know, you get the idea of going up the generational ladder, can trickle down if it's not up, if it's not dealt with, if it's not healed, if it's not interrupted, challenged. And it can linger and it might show up in other ways where we might not be able to really fully grasp it, but we know that there's something, there's a vibe there, you know, to just bluntly say. In fact, one of the first studies of this appeared in 1966 uh, when Canadian psychiatrist Vivian Rakoff, who is also an MD, documented high rates of psychological distress in children of the Holocaust survivors. Um, And they have found this, and since then there has been more research done where generations even after the Holocaust, those kids have experienced higher levels of depression, anxiety, PTSD, etc. And this is why it is so important to acknowledge that generational trauma is a thing, it is real, And honestly, it is here. It is in our lives. And we might spend our lifetime unpacking that in our own lives, which is okay because literally the work is never done. It constantly evolves. Um, Think of yourself as an Apple update. You are constantly going to break and re-update into a new version and learn some things about your previous bugs. So I ask you to think about your own family and your family's generation before it and then yourself. So if you think about these three levels of starting with you, then going a little macro to your family and then a little bit more of a macro to your parents' generation before, what are some things that you can think of that you're like, wow, that could have really messed with someone's head? And it doesn't always have to be violence or something extreme, right? It could be the way that they're spoken to at home. It could be the way that they have to live their lives in a certain lifestyle. Um, But think of those things and then the ways it shows up in your life. So I will speak for myself. um, But between my both sides of my mom and dad's family, we have a few pieces of trauma that have come up. There is mistreatment of women. Um through violence or abuse. Um, There's verbal abuse. And there is a lot of psychological disorders, I would say, that have gone undiagnosed. Um, And therefore, people just thinking it's normal and trying to move on and go ahead with their lives and not realizing the effect it has even on them. Um, There are sexual assaults. Um, There is income inequity um, and extreme poverty. 
There is casteism. Uh, there is familial separation. There is death and neglecting women's trauma. So I'll just stop there. This is not for me to say, boo-hoo, look at me, what a hard life I've led. Most of these traumas I have not experienced. There are a few that I named that I have. And of course, I had my own journey with those as it related to how I process those and how I've become more aware of where it was negatively or positively affecting me. But you know, when it comes to other ones, I did not experience them. It was stuff that happened to my parents or my parents' parents. And I will say that it would be really naive of me to think that it doesn't have an impact on me. It totally affected the culture of our family, the way that we talked about certain things, the things that made people angry, the things that made people irrationally respond to things, right? Like it's it's very much there, but you don't realize until you get some space and you see, holy shit, that, that was not normal. And that's okay, but we need to understand what that was and how do I perhaps challenge it so that it doesn't become an experience that's maybe uh, not proportionate to the actual event that's happening. And I won't lie, generational trauma is often on my mind because I have seen how much it has existed in my life and how much I had never addressed it or acknowledge the ways that it shows up and has sometimes turned me into you know small details or things that I do that I'm like wow like I don't need to do that but I do it because x y and z and it's really the work of like I think a byproduct sorry of my time with my fiance when we are starting to not only date but as we started to transition into talking about marriage and now that we're engaged and talking about kids a, a big way that we coach each other when we're arguing is, is this how we want to show up for our kids? Like the behavior that we're talking about, how would we want to change it? Or um, is it, you know, good enough that we would want to air it out in front of our kids? And that really helps us direct a little bit of like, ooh, definitely don't want them to emulate this. Uh, don't want them to talk about this in a therapist's office one day. So let's pivot here or like, let's change it here. And I bring that up because, you know, generational trauma is something that really is important to me to not pass on to my children as much as I can in my control. There is inevitably stuff that I'm going to do, like even if I raise them perfectly, they're going to go to their therapist and be like, I never saw my mom in conflict. I don't know how to deal with conflict. So uh, very likely that I won't be a perfect person um, when I raise them. But it's something that I think about a lot of like, what's my responsibility to the future generation? And that's why it's very important to me to tackle what's happened in the past. So Lahari, why are we here today, Monday, October 4th, to talk about generational trauma? The reason why it's top of mind for me is that recently my parents visited from India to come for my fiance and my engagement party. And my mom has been here since April. But my dad came just for the party. He came a week before the party. And we had some time to just, you know, hang out. And I was having a really hard time with my dad. Um, I felt so guilty, though, for complaining because I had waited for almost three years to see him. You know, with the COVID situation, it didn't allow us to see each other. And I had already not seen him for a while. So it just added up. And I had been waiting. Oh my gosh, I was so excited. I redid some of the parts of the house. I tried to update things, bought them a new mattress. Like I was so excited for this visit. And the first week was hard. My dad has a very um, 
you know, I was reminded of he has a very domineering presence in the house, um, has a lot of opinions on things. And, you know, it's served me very well when I was younger. Um, Sometimes it was a little too much where I felt like it was just a little controlling in the house. Um, But, you know, whatever. We're here now. I'm grateful for what it was. Uh, As an adult, it could be different. I'm living with my fiance. We have a different set of cultural norms and rules in the house. We have a different way of treating each other in the house or talking to each other, um, of doing things, you know, errands or tours and um, it was just the first time I'd seen that come to a head or just the contrast. It was more visible. Visible. It came to a head because of me. I'm someone who cannot shut up. I don't like authority. I don't like when people um, try to control others. And so I started to push back every time my dad was, you know, and so this has been our dynamic for a while. You know, we, we've been working on our relationship a lot, but I just get so bothered by my dad in a way that my mom doesn't bother me. And, you know, that's something that was really haunting me because I also felt guilty for feeling that way about my dad, who is older and who loves me and is always acting out of care. It's been so much for me. Um, The second week, we went to Santa Barbara and we were having brunch, just me, my mom and my dad. Um, My fiance had to work. So we had some alone time and we got on the topic of families and some of the drama that has happened in our family um, resulting in some separations between members, etc. And my dad asked me if he thinks, if I think that there are issues in the family. And so instead of being my normal, like, yes, dad, like, of course, I was like, well, I think that it is a product of generational trauma. And he was like, what is that? So we talked about it. And it was actually a beautiful conversation because I never thought I'd be talking to my dad about something like that. And we talked about that concept. And I was lovingly trying to explain to him how, you know, this generation before him, if that was happening and they never, you know, not only did they not acknowledge it, but they also shoved it under the rug, then you don't address it so it gets passed on to the next generation and because certain things were ignored also in his parents generation that it it affected the kids him and his siblings and i was like this is probably why it shows up this way um i think it's under i have compassion for the fact that when you're kids you see these dynamics in the house and then you might emulate those Um, So it gives me more understanding, but I also think it's okay for you to start to recognize, like, does it serve me or not? Um, And he shared a lot of thoughts of his own traumas in the past and how they might have affected him sometimes in a way where he's like, I don't know if I'm proud of the way that I behaved, but it's because of X, Y, and Z. So we had what I like to call a Grey's Anatomy moment. And what I mean by this is in Grey's Anatomy, I feel like when there's conflict between characters, one of them storms in and gives some monologue with really beautiful rhetoric. They say the same sentence thrice to make their point and they're vulnerable and they demand what they want and the other person responds and then kumbaya, it works out. Um, There are a few scenes where it's a parent and child relationship. And I used to look at that and think, LOL, this would never happen in my household. If I stormed in and gave my dad a monologue of how I felt, he'd be like, get out. <laughs> like, you know, I'll give you a slap. Like, so um, anyway, I thought they were all fictional, but 
goes to show people change and evolve. My dad is getting older. He has a lot of things in his life that are giving him different perspective. And same is happening to me. And we're able to come to an understanding better. And we had our own Grey's Anatomy moment where we got to really get to know each other. I even got to tell him that the reason why I tend to easily snap at him, like I'm just so resistant to him controlling me. And so even when he might even give a small like piece of advice where he's like, hey, like, do you maybe you want to do this instead of that? I'll be like, no, dad, like I got it. And I was explaining to him, like, you controlled a lot of my life, like from the small things, like I, what I wore, where I went in the house, like if I was allowed in the garage at a certain time, if I was allowed to drive at a certain time, if I could study a certain thing. And now I feel very um, grossed out by being controlled by anyone. Um, and it's not always a good thing because sometimes people just want to help, but I will put up a wall. Um, and so this is something that's been learned for me. And um, he was like, OK, like that makes sense. So all of this is to say that like these things exist. I mean, this is a more happy ending story. But one thing that I've been working on is as someone who's experienced um, sexual assault uh, a couple of times, unfortunately, um, I get really triggered when I watch content or even know because I like to read the endings of movies before. Um, if I even know that scene is coming up, I start to kind of lose interest in the movie because I'm literally disassociating myself. I don't want to watch it. I'm just trying to build some space between me and that content. Um, it is also why I like to read things in advance. Like I'm really anxious about not knowing what's around the corner, <laughs> if you will. So um, that's definitely an uncomfortable chuckle. So um, sorry about that. Well, that's it for me today. I know I shared my own humble experiences and this wasn't to make myself any more important than anyone. It is just to say that this was my experience and I think it feels really good to be able to trust others with your vulnerability and um, some of the experiences I've had in case they are similar or maybe there's something that you would like to share and I hope you feel this is a safe space because I invite you to provide any feedback or stories that you have about generational trauma, and I'm happy to share it with our Down to Brown platform, whether it's a video or paragraph, you name it. And lastly, I would love to leave with a quote, which I think can perfectly describe intergenerational trauma and then also just our immigrant experiences. I think this will resonate for anyone who is a child of immigrants. Our ancestors knew that healing comes in cycles and circles. One generation carries the pain so that the next can live and heal. One cannot live without the other. Each is the other's hope, meaning, and strength. Gemma B. Benton, then she sang a willow song, reclaiming life and power with the ancestors. <laughs>